Welcome to Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer sitting in for today for Stephen Henderson. If you're just walking into work right now or otherwise moving on with your day, you can hear the full show at your convenience uh, with the Detroit Today podcast. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And a little bit later, Laura Weber Davis, WDET and Detroit Today producer, will talk with Nick Schreck a little bit about soil quality, what you can do to make sure that uh, your soil, if you're gardening or anything like that, uh, is is up to par. Uh, but first... Earlier this year on the show, we, first, we, met, we met Maria Juarez, a Detroiter who was brought to the United States as an infant. At the time, she was about to be deported for crimes she committed as a teenager. She's a wife and a mother. She was caring for a small baby as well as her husband, who had been stricken with leukemia. Despite her efforts to fight the deportation order, she, was, uh, she found out at the airport that she would get no reprieve and was sent to Mexico on the spot place she'd never been except for when she was an infant, about eight months old, I believe. Detroit uh, Bridge Magazine reporter Chastity Pratt-Dossi has been following the story since before Juarez was deported. She recently went down to Mexico to visit Juarez and get an update on her life and living conditions. We'll talk with Chastity about that trip very soon, but first, here's a bit of Stephen's interview with Juarez back in May, just a few days before she was deported. I think your story more than uh, more than a lot of the stories that I've been hearing in the last few months as we sort of see this really heightened uh, intensity around the question of deportation and immigration, I think your story adds context. It adds texture to that narrative in a way that's really important. A lot of times when we talk about these things, it's either or. People see them in very stark terms. Your life is anything but those sort of black and white terms. There is a lot going on, and there are a lot of reasons that you face the the consequence that you might be facing. And so I wanted you to come in and, and tell your story about where you're from, how long you've been here, what your life is like, and then why you face deportation. Okay, so um, I came to the United States when I was eight months old. I came into California. My mother brought me in as a baby. Um, unfortunately, you know, my mother throughout my childhood, she was in and out of, she was in and out of jail, in and out of prison, and uh, deported a few times. So definitely, I didn't have a parent figure there, and I, um, you know, I fell into the wrong steps. That is in my, you know, my youth when I when I committed a, a two crimes of stealing a stolen vehicle, and um, as soon um, when I was seventeen and I was in in, in jail. Um, ICE went to go pick me up. ICE picked me up, and they took me to an immigration facility out in Virginia. Um, as soon as I turned 18, I was released into my aunt's custody here in Taylor, Michigan. And um, as soon as I turned 18, I went into what's called removal proceedings, which basically I had to apply for something or I would be deported soon. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, I hired an attorney that my, my family was already working with, uh, the attorney Charles Bussey. Um, he said my only option at that time was asylum, to apply for asylum, which I did. Um, I followed his advice. I, you know, I filed for asylum, which eventually got denied in 2016. It did buy me four years. Um, but during that time, I also married my husband. I met my husband. Um, you know, I, I married him. We have a child. We have a one and a half year old child. Um, so during that time, my, you know, my attorney really didn't advise me that I could possibly withdraw my application, which would, you know, uh, my asylum application, which would uh, benefit me in the way that I could apply for a waiver 
a provisional waiver, which is the one you do inside the United States without having to leave. So I went through with my, you know, my asylum process, my courts, and it got denied, um, which turned into a deportation order. Um, I, you know, I, I appealed that, right? I appealed it once, it got denied. And then by the time it got, um, it got denied in January of this year, uh, my husband was diagnosed with leukemia. Um, my attorney, which was now Kareen Sala, she advised me, you know, that instead of appealing a second time, which is my right to do, we can do a motion to reopen my case because I would qualify for what's called cancellation of removal. So we did that very, very quickly. Um, you know, I, the, the, unfortunately, ICE, you know, ICE just, their job is just to remove me from the country. So I filed, I filed a stay through ICE so I would be able to stay here in the country, um, you know, until my motion, you know, would come through. Unfortunately, um, she denied my stay, even due to my husband's condition. They denied my stay. Um, so they gave me three weeks to leave. Uh, listening to your story, there are a number of, I think, uh, points in which it sort of intersects with the larger discussion about immigration in this country, the, the, the most obvious being the fact that you married a U.S. citizen. A lot of people think if you marry a U.S. citizen, you become a citizen and they can't deport you. They can't send you back uh, somewhere else. Talk about why, why that is not true in your case. Well, unfortunately, that's true. That's not true in a lot of cases. Um, but mine, especially, it is. It's actually not true. I mean, I married a U.S. citizen, and regardless, I still have to. You know, I have to leave the the country. Um, I had a removal order already set, um, and so I no longer qualify to do a provisional waiver inside the United States because of the removal order that from the judge for my asylum. That is where that is, uh, you know, that's that's why it's so difficult now. And now I have to leave the country for an undetermined period of time and still even take a big chance of even being able to come back due to my husband because because of this, you know, this the the situation I had as a juvenile. So I'm taking a really big chance leaving to Mexico of ever coming back. I don't know if I'll ever be able to come back. Right. Talk about your life here, which is the only life that you've known, and what makes you feel, what makes you feel American? I mean, what wh what is it about uh, this country? What is it about being here, even in Metro Detroit, that that makes you feel like this is home? Well, this has been home. The United States has been home from you know. I, I grew up here. I grew up in California, and this is the only place I know that is home. Um, you know, I. It's it's very it's very hard. Um, I went to school here. I have my whole family here. Um, you know, family that I have in Mexico, I don't have any contact with. Um, I went to school here, and you know, the family that I have here now, living here in Detroit, you know, has really opened up my eyes. I've moved to a completely different environment over here, and my family has always, you know, supported me. Um, I have my husband here. My life is set here. I ha I do not know the first thing about Mexico. I don't even know the currency there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, definitely going over there is very, very scary. It's terrifying. Um, I don't have a destination just yet. Um, you know, I've tried to contact, you know, poor family and see, you know, who, who can really help me, who can help me as soon as I get over there. But it's it's been very complicated. And definitely, I mean, this has always been my home. I've never even, I came here at eight months. I've never left to Mexico. I don't know the first thing about Mexico. I even took Spanish in high school because I didn't know, you know, I felt like, English was always my first language, so 
definitely it's it's very hard and terrifying going over there. What about uh, the trouble that you got into as a teenager? Uh, talk about where your life was at that point. That that is ultimately the reason that uh, that you're that you're going to be deported or they want to deport you. What was going on? So, I mean, at that time, throughout my whole childhood, and, um, you know, I grew up without my mother. My father was never in the picture. Um, like I said, my mother was involved with drugs and, um, you know, selling drugs also. So we definitely fell into the wrong steps. Uh, I would say me and my siblings, you know, we were very misguided, didn't have a, you know, parent figure there. Um, so, you know, I, I got involved with the wrong crowd, Um and I made a wrong decision of stealing a car. And, you know, at that time, honestly, I felt like, you know, my life had really no no point. There was no point. I, my mother wasn't there. You know, we were left with whoever. You know, when, you know, CPS got involved, I mean, they, they took a brother here. They took my sister there. And we were always jumping around to whoever could really take care of us. So I really felt like nobody really cared. And... And how did you get from there to the space where you are now? I mean, lots of us make mistakes mm-hmm. when we're young people. Uh, they don't always come back to haunt us as mm-hmm. adults. But, but talk about that transition from that life to this one. Well, definitely it's a big transition. Um, you know, I came to somewhere where people really, where my family cared about me, where my aunt took me in. She took care of me like a mother. Um, there was definitely that support and love I always needed. As soon as I got here, I mean, it's a whole completely different environment. This is to Detroit. Detroit, yeah. and completely different environment. I, I was in Taylor, at, you know, as soon as I got here. My aunt lives there. Um, but definitely, you know, this area is different. It was a new chance at life for me. You start over. You don't, you know, you don't see the same people. You, you know, you have this family who supports you and loves you and gives you the help you need. And that's, that's what it, you know, that's where everything was here, you know. I should have came here sooner, but unfortunately, you know, I didn't have that opportunity. You live here in the metro area. Talk about what the environment is like in your community right now, given what's going on. I mean, I know this is a very personal story for you, but it's also a community story. Yeah, that's that's actually true. I mean, in this community, especially in southwest Detroit, I mean, you see people getting detained left and right. I mean, every day there's, um, you know, there's something going on. Someone got deported. Someone just got stopped. Just for not having a license, you get taken in. So, um, you know, all, all this, you know, all this, this situation, what's going on right now, it's it's definitely, it affects me a lot. You know, I really got involved with this whole immigration, you know, immigration stuff. And um, it really breaks my heart seeing how many families are torn apart. And it, it even, you know, it makes me even sadder knowing that I'm probably in the same or worse situation that they are. And it's... It's definitely heartbreaking. I wish I could help these people, and I know how it feels. And definitely living in southwest Detroit, you just never stop seeing immigration. I mean, someone's getting detained. Yeah. When you hear someone say that, why didn't you just come here legally like everybody else and, and work hard? What is that? What is that? How um, do you react to that? Definitely. I mean, it, I can't say it, it makes me mad, but definitely um, it's, it's kind of upsetting. People don't really understand that every situation is different. I didn't come here by choice. Um, you know, maybe if my mother would have, you know, raised me in Mexico, I would have loved to be in Mexico. I don't I don't know. But I didn't come here by choice. I didn't get the chance to come here legally. I did not get that opportunity. Like I said, I was brought in as a child. My mother made that choice for me. So 
definitely people people have you know their own opinion um but definitely every story is different and mine is not you know it's very complicated but if i could have came here legally i would have right i didn't get that opportunity right right there again another complication you were brought here as an infant you had no <laughs> choice in that matter uh, and so why should you be the person who bears the consequences uh, for that choice as as an adult Great question. All right, uh, Maria Garcia Juarez, thank you for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you. That was Stephen Henderson speaking with Maria Juarez back in May. It was just a few days before Juarez was deported to Mexico. Coming up, we'll speak with Bridge Magazine reporter Chastity Pratt-Dossie, who recently visited Juarez in Mexico to get an update on her story and her living conditions down there. News, music, culture, and community. Every day. Every day. Every day. On 1019 WDET. Detroit's public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer. I'm sitting in for Stephen Henderson today. We just heard a bit of Maria Juarez's interview on this show back in May, just a few days before she was deported to Mexico. It's a place she's never been except when she was an infant. Her mother brought her to the United States when she was less than a year old. Now she's been separated from her own small baby and her leukemia-stricken husband who's been who she'd been caring for at the time. Bridge Magazine reporter Chastity Pratt-Dossi has been following Juarez's story for months and recently went down to Mexico to find out what her living conditions are like and to get an update on her story. Chastity Pratt-Dossi joins the program now to tell us a little bit about what she saw and update us on Maria's situation. situation. Chastity, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hello, Detroit. So, first of all, I've been following uh, your Facebook videos down in Mexico uh, when you were down there. And it's just, uh, as I said to you uh, a little bit earlier, I just couldn't believe sort of what things looked like when you were there. But first, tell us a little bit about just what it took for you to get to Maria down there in Mexico. It was uh, it was quite a task. You know, um, I don't speak very good Spanish. You know, <laughs> I learned it in the United States public school system. Um, <laughs> Me too. I, I, I could say a couple things. That's it. I, um, so uh, the first uh, thing we had to do and I went with Bill Kubota, who's mm-hmm. a uh, cameraman from Detroit Public TV. Uh, excellent, excellent um, TV guy. And so the best thing that happened was Bill found us a fixer. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know, as a fixer is, you know, you, you go to a foreign land, you need someone who knows the, the lay of the land, the language and things of that nature. So uh, he found Miguel Angel Vega. And uh, he's worked with all the big, big um, TV stations and newspapers in the United States on everything from drugs to sports. And so he mm. he basically took us around. He drove us around. He talked to everybody for us. He set up some of our interviews. So that was the first thing we had to do. Otherwise, we couldn't have done this. We could right. not have even, you know, spoken to people, nonetheless interviewed people right. and, and found Maria. So I was going to say, did you know where Maria was or where you were going or how to find her when you when you were down there? Yeah, so we've um, kept in touch with her through WhatsApp mm-hmm. and a um, few text messages here and there. So we knew where to find her, but Miguel, our fixer, went into her 
um, town and scoped it out for us before we went to make sure that you know we weren't in a lot of danger because she's she's living afraid there and and we found out uh, very quickly why she's afraid. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things that uh, one of the videos, two of the videos, I should say, were you came across a dead body when you were when you were down there. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that experience. How, how did you come across a dead body? Uh, we we were there, I think, what, from Sunday to Friday of last week. And so um, we were interviewing Maria in a nearby town because she didn't even want us to come to her village, to her, her town, because it's it's just so scary. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like her, her town sits in the crossroads of some um, really intense gang violence that's going on down there. So she didn't want us anywhere near her house. And uh, but it started getting dark after we interviewed her. So we said, OK, we'll we'll take you home. We'll get you as close as home as we can. We don't want, you know, to cause any trouble. So we were on the road and we come across um, some police and some police tape, no ambulance yet. So um, we stopped the car. Uh, Miguel talks to the police and he's like, oh, my it is. It's a dead body. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and he seems surprised by this. Well, he. He he stopped the car like I bet you there's a dead body oh, there's a wow. murder here and I'm like no way and he's <laughs> like I'm gonna talk to them so he talked to oh, them wow. and he said this is a murder scene so Bill and I jumped out and the surprising thing at that scene was that the police even had their faces covered with masks you couldn't even see their face um, uh, because they're even afraid of the cartels oh wow so it, yeah it, and and did you get any information about what who what how this person was killed or what the crime was there? I mean, you just sort of kind of assumed, right? Well, the police wouldn't talk to us, right? So um, some other reporters, some local Mexican reporters, showed up and and they told us, oh yeah, this is the second one today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the reporters opened up his phone and showed us all the pictures of dead bodies he had covered in the past two months. It was something like eighty in wow. that that area alone, in the area where Maria lives. So. You know, when you were with Maria and you finally were able to interview her, um, tell us a little bit about what her living conditions are like. Obviously, that sort of paints a picture already of where she's living and what life is like down there. But where she's staying, you know, what is her quality of life down there in Mexico right now? Now, look, Jake, I'm not going to give you all everything. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) Bill and I are still working on a 30 minute documentary. That is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. three part series. No spoilers. No spoilers. spoilers. (laughs) But what you can tell from the Facebook um, live videos that we've posted so far, it's, you know, it's very different from Southwest Detroit. She lived in a house in Southwest Detroit. She and her husband owned their home in Southwest Detroit, a, a nice frame house that, you know, he was working on and in. In Mexico, she lives in a very small town, um, maybe 3,000 people, and they're they're very, um, what should I say, simple houses. They they have wells instead of, you know, regular running water. She doesn't have a washing machine. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's it's very sparse living Mm -hmm. where she is, and um, I'm not going to say it's the worst that we saw. Because we also visited with another deportee from Detroit who lives in a community that, I mean, kids were living in squalor. Right. You know, this this one kid we visited, he he was deported from southwest Detroit to a small area that uh, adjoins a total squalor. So um, Maria's situation is... Um, I mean, it's something that makes her cry just talking about it, but yeah. it is by far not the worst that we saw. And you said that as soon as she saw you, she broke down. 
Uh, yeah, when we um, first met up with her last week, um, she she saw us and she walked up and I'm like, hi, how are you? And she, her eyes were just full of tears and I'm like, okay, what's wrong? She's like, I'm just so happy to see somebody from home. Yeah, I'm just so happy to see you guys, right. <laughs> even though you you know you're reporters, you're from home. And so, I mean, the, the we we met up with several folks from Detroit or from other states as well who have been deported, spent their whole lives in, in America. And the, the thing that um, was similar throughout all of their stories and just their all of their demeanor, you talk to them for five minutes and the emotions are like right there at the top, you know, mm-hmm. m- young men even, you know, ready to just, you know, break down like, because they have literally been extracted from their lives and dropped off in a country that they don't know. Right, right. Yeah, you're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer. I'm sitting in for Stephen Henderson today. We're speaking with Bridge Magazine reporter Chastity Pratt-Dossi about her recent trip down to Mexico to visit Maria Juarez, who we met on the show five months ago. This is just days before she was deported. Um, Chastity, uh, talk a little bit about Maria's ability to support herself down there. Does she have any means down there to support herself? Or is she, at this point, just relying on the kindness of, of people who live down there? Uh, she has a, a big family. And again, when I talk to all of the, the kids, the youth, they, the main thing that's keeping them all afloat is the family that they do have mm-hmm. in Mexico. Um, and uh, there were, you know, People who talked about, you know, I know this guy who got deported here who has no one and he's just like floating around, you know. But those who have been deported back and have family are in a better situation. And and, um, so she's able to get some assistance. But Mm -hmm. I mean, come on, Jake, the real thing here is just imagine you're going from United States to Mexico where it's 17 pesos to a dollar. Right. Where the average good income is uh, for a young person is considered 10,000 pesos a month, which is like less than $600 a month. Mm-hmm. You know, it it's a shock to the system and 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 she she describes it as a shock a shock to her soul. I mean, yeah. her whole identity was tied with living in America her whole life and now she is uh, a a an American in Mexico, people treat her differently. She can't speak the languages the same way that they speak it. She feels yeah. like she, and anytime she's out and about, if she talks and they hear her accent, you know, anybody could think, oh, she has money and try to rob her. Um, she's, her family and everyone, of course, they embrace her, but she's very much considered an American in Mexico. Right. However, when she was in America, she was not considered an American. <laughs> right. You know, that's such a conundrum. It's so ironic. It, it, you know, in America, she was treated as a Mexican in America. Right. And now in Mexico, she's treated as an American in Mexico. Yeah, you, you feel like a target anywhere you are, right? Uh, and, and I was going to ask you, when, when as, as an American woman in Mexico... Is she? Does that make her a target when she's there in 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 a place where I mean, it, does she feel like her standing out in that way it creates more danger for her? Did oh, you get a sense of that? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, and she talked in a Facebook page and the Facebook video we did about not going out much. She doesn't leave her her small little compound very much because of the fear. Not only because of those fears, but because of, because of the very real fears. Of, of the violence that is going on in her town. Um, you know, people are getting shot and killed. I mean, you, when you drive down the street and see a dead body, the second one in a day, yeah. you know, people talk about Detroit being, you know, the most violent city in in, in, in the nation. It ain't got nothing on where she's mm-hmm. living now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the fear is real and palpable. But the thing that um, 
uh, continues to stand out and will stand out as we follow this story forward is how she and the other young people we talk to say, you know, whatever you think, whatever the American policy may be, um, you can't deny the fact that I didn't choose to go to America. I didn't choose to be raised in America. This was not my choice. It was my life. And now I'm being tossed back into um, a situation, you know, that I don't know how to deal with. Yeah. And when you, when we went to see the conditions that these young people's families migrated away from, you can see why they would leave. You know, um, you would, you can see why they would leave a place in, you know, like rural Guanajuato, Mexico. The, right. the poverty and the suffering was palpable. It was very real. So I can understand why they did it. Not to say, you know, American. Uh, law allowed it but you know you totally understand it and these young people are caught in a situation that was not of their own making yeah uh, you're listening to Detroit today I'm Jake near sitting in for Stephen Henderson today we're talking with Chastity Pratt Dossie reporter with bridge magazine about her recently trip to catch up with Maria Juarez someone who we talked to five months ago on this show back in May about, right before she was deported to Mexico someone who was brought here as an infant someone who was caring for her, leukemia-stricken husband and a small baby at the time. And Chastity, this, the thing about Maria's story that especially gets me is how wrapped up this is in, in this conversation about breaking up families. I mean, it hits on so many of the conversations we have around the immigration debate here in the United States. But I think the thing that, that, that tugs at the heartstrings the most is the fact that she has a small baby, the fact that her husband is sick. Um, how is her family in Detroit faring at this point without her? See, you want me to just give it all away, Jake? <laughs> Come on, you're gonna have to watch our 30 minute documentary. <laughs> give us, give us the, give us the, the little preview. There. Well, you know, her son is two now, yeah, and uh, had a birthday, and her husband is um, awaiting a stem cell transplant he had hoped to have over the summer but um it didn't happen oh, so man. um he is um supposed to have it in in, in coming weeks so we mm -hmm. will be visiting revisiting with our husband eric and her son david and uh, we'll have plenty of, of photographs of them and of sure. maria um and like I said, lots of other young people that we met while we were there. Yeah. And of course, the other debate that this that her story really goes into is the one that we're having front and center right now about people who were brought here as small as babies, small children, but before that they, they were able to make that decision themselves to come here. It's, you know, we call them dreamers, uh, DACA recipients. Um, now, Maria probably wouldn't be able to get that DACA status, probably because of her criminal uh, record, I assume. But uh, still, her story is similar to these to these uh, uh, these individuals. Uh, what do you what did she have to say about it was a little bit in the Facebook video, but then it got cut off because the reception was so yeah. spotty in Mexico. But what was her message to DACA recipients and her thoughts on people like her who were brought here as small kids that didn't have that choice? Yeah, so she she was not a DACA recipient, and and the whole reason that we went and followed Maria is, um, you know, because of the breaking up the family, the deportation, the conversation yeah. about immigration. But it became more and more in, important that we follow her because she has been extracted from America and sent back to Mexico, which is a very real possibility 
for the DACA recipients. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to say for those DACA recipients who might be facing deportation, if this thing goes south, this is what it looks like when you get sent back to a place you never knew. So her 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 story is illustrative. And what she said to the DACA recipients who are facing some uncertainty is not to give up, to keep on fighting, to keep on protesting, to, you know, to to, to understand that there are people um, who in America understand their plight and that they should keep fighting. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. Chastity Pratt-Dossie, reporter with Bridge Magazine, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. And uh, please keep us updated on Maria. And we'll talk to you again when that documentary comes out. We'll talk more about it at that point. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Coming up, producer Laura Weber-Davis will join me in studio with her latest environmental questions. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm.